one is silent. And welcome to Wages Cinema. I'm Jack. Hey, I'm Andrew. I just did the countdown thing where I didn't say the one, but I wanted to make sure the one was there. Um, <laughs> good job. So, um, it's nice to see you again. Yeah, good to uh, see you. Yeah, you know, uh, before, uh, I feel like I haven't seen you in a while, which is good to catch up on things. and catch Well, we up haven't on seen movies. each other since we talked about The Void, so. Yes, that's true. We didn't talk That's just then. life. Yeah, life is life is crazy, and life. And when is... you try to prolong life unnaturally, you cause gigantic crimes against nature. Yeah, and sometimes. You... So I'm glad we haven't seen each other since then. Yeah, it's good that we're not, you know, causing natural disasters and other things like that. Bending the laws of time and space. <laughs> looking yeah. at a big black pyramid. Yeah, that, that's always. I'm definitely glad we're not looking at a big black pyramid. No, yeah, I'm glad we're not looking at a Black Pyramid or... Listen to our review down. of The Void from horror in April to find out what the hell Jack and Andrew are talking about. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, there's actually some sad news uh, that I just have to bring up because I'd feel it remiss without mentioning it. Uh, the director, Jonathan Demme, died. Now, he's... Now, Jack, pretend, now you, you pretend I'm stupid. Okay. Tell me movies that Jonathan Demme had directed. All right, I'll give you four words. Silence of the Lambs. All right. I'll give you another word. Philadelphia. Okay. Um, what else might you know? Um, the remake of The Manchurian Candidate. I have seen that. Did you? Yeah. I, I never knew that. It's not terrible. I kind of like it. It's, it's, nowhere, not, it's not the original. It's nowhere near as iconic as the other, but, no, but it, serves a as a, it serves as a decent you movie. Know who, you know who pops up in that movie very briefly? Who? Roger Corman. <laughs> Roger Corman actually pops up in Sons of the Lambs too. Mm. That's where Jonathan Demme got his start. He, uh, I mean, originally he was a film critic really early on. Like he was kind of like a budding film critic in the sixties. Like us. Yeah, we could go the path of Jonathan Demme. Well, he, well, he was a film critic, and then somehow he became like a film publicist, and somehow some of his film publicity got the attention of Roger Corman, and so he brought him on to either. I don't know, I guess write or produce or something. He His very first film credit, actually, is this movie that... I, I actually quite, like quite a bit, even though the title sounds a lot like a porn. Alright. The, the title is Angels Hard As They Come. Oh, yeah, that's... that's. <laughs> yeah, it sounds especially dirty, doesn't it? That, that seems like a throwaway title that someone was like, put this... <laughs> put this in... Put this in the used title bin. Yes! <laughs> I just plucked a bunch of words together and like, oh, that doesn't look very nice. Um, but I kind of like it. And then he made a, he directed some movies for Corman as well. Uh, his very first uh, movie is Caged Heat. Hmm. And then he followed that up with Crazy Mama. So, you know, another, you know, say what you want about Roger Corman, but he, you know, helped get the start of a lot of uh, filmmakers in Hollywood. And he was one of them. He was one of the most... Uh, uh, talented ones for sure, uh, and we actually we've talked about Sons of the Lambs before. Yeah, because uh, I rewatched Sons of the Lambs. Not well, it had to have been within the last year or two because again, I I know I talked about it on the podcast and I watched it on Blu-ray. I got like a new remastered version of it, um, and the movie still holds up. Uh, and after he died on, uh, and this was this past Wednesday, uh, and very sad because he was just seventy-three. He still had probably some years left in him. He might have. Yeah. he And the thing about Jonathan Demme, before I get back to Sons of the Lambs, 
he had a really eclectic career. Like he he did it all. I mean, he did feature films, like dramatic fictional feature films, but he also made documentaries. Uh, he made a documentary several years ago about uh, Jimmy Carter, and uh, there's also this really fascinating movie called the. I hope I pronounced this correct. It's called the Agronomist. Agronomist. I don't know how you pronounce it like that. Okay. And that was uh, was a movie about a guy, uh, this political figure in Haiti, I think, which was really fascinating. But he's really well known for his concert movies. Uh, the most prominent of those was Stop Making Sense. Does that sound familiar to you? Talking Heads, right? Yeah. And the cool thing about that was, I mean, Talking Heads is just, you know, you kind of can't escape them if you have, if you have on rock radio all your life, you know, uh, uh, Once in a Lifetime, uh, Psycho Killer, uh, songs like that. Um, but he just saw them live and thought, okay, I want to make a movie about these guys. But I don't want to make it like how MTV is now showing music. Because at that time in the mid-80s, uh, when he directed Stop Making Sense, you, know, you had all these fast-cutting music videos that tried to be super flashy. And uh, it was like Tony Scott, I guess, was that kind of style. And he just presented them on stage very plainly. He didn't, you know, he, he cut enough so that, you know, it was a movie. But he, he made it more like a performance film. And while, after watching Stop Making Sense, uh, I became much more of a fan of Talking Heads than I had been before. Okay. Because it gives you, you know, you might hear just the songs on the radio and think, oh, I, I kind of like Talking Heads. You know, they, I mean, they are a pretty unique group. Yeah. Um... And, uh, but seeing them live and how they're presented in Stop Making Sense, they're almost iconic, even though they're so unusual. And, like, David Byrne on stage with these gigantic pants <laughs> that can't fit him. Or, actually, no, it's not that they can't fit him, they're, they're, he can't fit into them. Right. Um, and so there was that. He made a few movies with Neil Young. Um, and just a number of movies that... You almost he, you can take a lot of his movies for granted in a way. Like he he made movies. Uh, here are some titles I'll throw out there. Maybe you've heard of them. Maybe not. Uh, Something Wild, with Jeff Daniels, Melanie Griffith, and Ray Liotta. Uh, I love that movie. Uh, I highly recommend that one. Uh, he made a movie in the early '80s called Melvin and Howard. I haven't I heard know. of it, but okay, it's all right. Yeah, well, that in that movie, the Howard of the title is Howard Hughes. Uh, he's not even in the movie that much. It, it kind of opens with Howard Hughes. Uh, he's just like a hitchhiker that this guy, Melvin, picks up. And Melvin's just like this kind of yokel, local yokel guy. Mm -hmm. And he just, you know, Jason Robards is Howard Hughes. And he just gets in the car. He's like, do you know who I am, son? Ah, I don't think so. You look very good. He's like, I'm Howard Hughes. And they somehow bond over, like, this car ride. And there's a lot of story in the movie, but ultimately... It isn't until the third act, actually, that Howard Hughes kind of comes back into Melvin's life because Howard Hughes dies, and he names this guy Melvin as his one beneficiary in his will huh. just because of this one... I don't know if he was his only beneficiary, but it was something like he's in his will, even though he just had this one car ride with him. And it's just a, that's also a great movie. Um, and he, he could, you know, occasionally he might have a movie that wouldn't work as well. Uh, I mean, he did a remake of Charade, several years back, called The Truth About Charlie, which was just a little I remember when that came out, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of interesting, but it just didn't work all the way. Uh, not his fault. Eh, um, it happens. Yeah, but he was yeah, he was working up until the end, and he even had, uh, the last thing I, I watched on the day my, after he died on Netflix, he has this 
Justin Timberlake concert movie. Hmm. Um, and you know, I, I Justin Timberlake music I could take or leave. Some of it's just kind of not my speed in pop music. Um, but again, like with the Talking Heads, um, I was surprised at how much this Jonathan Demi made it very cinematic and made Justin Timberlake and he had this great backing band called the Tennessee Kids. And they just put on this this concert that I'm like, wow, okay, I get it. I could see why people like this Justin Timberlake kid. He's going places, <laughs> even though he's older than me. Yeah. Um, but let me go back now to Silence of the Lambs. Because, you know, we're, we talk, we're, our main thing that we're going to talk about later is horror. And, you know, you can't talk about the history of horror movies without now talking about the Silence of the Lambs. Hmm. But which is kind of weird because I've always thought of Silence of the Lambs as a thriller. Mm, so you kind of take a little bit of that hard line on it, right? Did, yeah. I, we maybe we talked about it before. We've we've you and I have gone back and forth on what is horror and what is a thriller. Yeah. For me, Silence of the Lambs is, is thriller. But it has some really horrific elements, though. I, I oh think, yeah, I think but you can when make you an compare it, that it is a horror because of, for example, when Hannibal Lecter makes his escape. Like, that is really grisly. Yeah, that is, but it's not really the essence of the film. I mean, for me, the if you were to have, like, a middle ground between horror and thriller, it's movie seven. I, you don't think Silence of the Lambs can fill that middle ground, too? No, not as closely as seven was. And is if, it just because of a matter of being so grisly? Silence of the Lambs sits definitely further onto the thriller side uh, to... You know, Does it when dance you with it seven? So, so it dances with horror elements, but not enough for it to be considered horror. No, it doesn't. I, I would say though that it's not the kind of movie you usually expect to win at the Oscars, though. No, certainly not. Yeah. I mean, you've got to give it credit for that. I mean, even if it's not a horror film, it's still an excellent film because not only is it so well made, and not only does Anthony Hopkins give such a great performance in 12 minutes of screen time. I think it was a little more than 12 minutes. It might have Roughly. been 20. But, you know, it's... it's the themes in it are, are so great. It's about... Yeah. It's about... It's about sex. You know, not just, like... Not the act of sex, but it's about men and women. It's about sexual harassment. And it's about... Mm. You know, yeah, well, <laughs> well, there's something that in the interviews I've been reading, because I read a long online somewhere i think maybe it was the hollywood reporter i had kind of forgotten about this last year they did uh sometimes they do these oral histories where they talk with the people behind the movie and how it got you know how it was made and jonathan demi was part of this and joey foster said like the you know the reason she wanted to make this movie was because you, know, you usually have movies like this where uh where a, 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 an agent or a cop is trying to catch a killer or, or you know catch somebody who's in trouble, and here it was a a woman FBI agent trying to save one woman. Yeah, and that's it. And she has to go through this world of men, and you know sometimes it's men who are nice to her, like her boss uh, uh, Jack Crawford, but then you also have like those squirmy guys who work in the. Uh, it was a library or like a records hall, and one of them just kind of hits on her and has like cross eyes. I don't know if you remember that scene. I don't remember that scene. Yeah, there's just this random it's scene. It's been a few years since I've seen Silence this, of the Lambs. There's this but... very distinctive actor who has cross eyes. 
He's, he's cross-eyed. Excuse he's the me. new Jack Elam. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and I actually, it's funny because this very same actor is also in The Host, uh, the, the Bong Joon-ho movie. If you ever see The Host, he's one of the only white guys in the movie. Wait, is he that guy in the beginning? I, well, you've seen The Hosts. Um, I think he's more like midway through. Oh, never mind. Then he's that's like a different the, person. He's a scientist guy. And okay. And I remember him very well, too, because of all things, I, I remember seeing, this is just a tangent, but I saw the host at the New York Film Festival almost like over 10 years ago. I only remember, I only say this because he was the guy who was at the Q&A. Huh. They didn't have the director. They didn't have any <laughs> other cast. It was just him. And he was on stage. With the you do your eyes. best. Yeah, yeah. But um, but I think, but going back to Sons of Lambs, a big part of what that makes that movie work is when we talk about it that's so well made, Jonathan Demi just brought a level of craft to it that maybe if it had been given to just some hack, it wouldn't have had the craft to it. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned uh, Philadelphia. That's a movie that uh, I've seen countless times, but, and I might have told you this before, but Philadelphia, you, when I was in high school in health class, in my, I guess it was maybe junior or senior year, I guess the teacher just kind of gave up. And either he ran out of material or just decided, ah, screw it. And I remember watching Philadelphia in health class more than once. I have seen health classes watch Philadelphia. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't think your teacher was that, was that okay. unique. Oh, okay. So I wasn't... <laughs> all right. Because it was either Philadelphia... Or, this is kind of dating me, but there used to be this show called Boston Public, mm. which I don't even know why they showed us that show, but uh, but Philadelphia is another really extraordinary movie. Um, I don't think I love it as much as Sounds of the Lambs or, or some of the other movies I mentioned, but it's also a very well done movie. Um, Jonathan Demi, one of his, he has, sometimes directors have a certain trademark, and with him, even though other directors had done it before, and I'm sure they've done it since, his whole thing is that the way that we're looking at each other right now, we're kind of looking at your eye to eye. Yeah. He would, his whole thing is, I'm going to put the camera right on you, and you're going to look at the camera. So <laughs> that we're looking right at you. So, you know, and that happens a lot. The main thing in Sounds of the Lambs, all those interactions between Starling and, uh, and Lecter, it feels a lot more intimate and personal because they're having that direct contact with each other. And, Especially when she, uh, like Starling gives that whole monologue about what the title of the movie means. The fact when, when she went, ran, ran away from home and there are all those screaming lambs. Yeah. Um, and Lecter is just this intense close-up where he's like, What did you see, Caris? What did you see? Yeah. Do you still hear those lambs? And do you think you could stop them if you catch this one woman? It's like, oh my god. <laughs> it's like you can't look away. Um... But yeah, he was just an immensely talented guy. Uh, just to run off a few other names in case maybe you've heard of some of these other movies. Rachel Getting Married. Yeah. Ricky and the Flash, which we yeah. talked about. Yeah, before. you talked about it. Yeah, see, he's the kind of director who, again, he just makes, he just made movies and he loved movies. And, you know, maybe you'd see some of them, some of you might not. Um, he also did some television work, too. Um, and, uh,. Yeah, so I just had to give Jonathan Demi a shout-out because he was just an extraordinary guy. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson cited him as probably one of his biggest influences as a director. 
So without Jonathan Demme, we might have Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say. No, I think you've said it pretty well. Yeah, um, so here's to you, Jonathan Demme. Clink. Clink. Yep, and I uh, hope uh, you're well wherever you are. Um, okay, so just, uh, just to talk about a couple of quick movies. Um, I don't We're going to any... talk about other movies now. Now, other movies. Get away, Jonathan Demme. Um, no, I'll miss him. Um, I don't know, is there anything you want to talk about? No, I'm saving it all for a little later. Okay, good. Well, let me just run down a couple movies I saw recently that I'd like to mention uh, to everyone out there. And by the way, if you've seen any of the movies that I'm about to talk about, or if you have any thoughts about Jonathan Demme uh, movies, you could send us an email to wagesofcinema at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter at the Wages of Cinema Podcast. Um, Have you heard of The Lost City of Z? Yes. It's yeah. been a it's been a very popular book. Yeah, it's been a I, I've it's whenever I've not gone, that I've read it. But, no, no, uh, no. I mean, I haven't read it either. It's just always it's a title that kind of catches your eye whenever you go into a bookstore, and it's been a bestseller for a lot of years. Um, and I don't know if you knew much about it. It's a uh, technically, I think it's based on a real guy. I don't know if it's how historically accurate it is exactly. Um, there was this explorer. In the early 20th century, um, that went by the name, let me see if I can get this right, uh, Percival Fawcett, or Percy Fawcett for short. Um, and he went into uh, the Amazon in, in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, and initially he was sent, he was like a, he was originally a military guy, but he got somehow brought in with the British. Uh, National Museum or Natural Explorers or something. I forget exactly what it was called. Um, British Explorer Man. Yeah, British, he was British Explorer. He wears a pith helmet. Yeah, basically. He wears a pith helmet and he was charged with, you know, instead of going into battle, they wanted him, okay, go and try to, you know, we, we need to try to discover some other places. Go, our maps aren't complete. Go to this part in Bolivia and try to help us out. Make some maps go with Robert Pattinson, who's also in the movie, and he's actually better in this than he's been anything ever. Oh, that's just, good. Well, because he completely downplays everything, He's and he also has a beard, and he's he doesn't have that twitchy-eyed thing like I'm doing right now to you, like in Twilight. Oh, God. <laughs> he, I, I presume he has enough sense not to bring the same no, skill set he brought to Twilight no, he's into more this understated. Uh, Charlie Hunnam is the main guy. Oh, good. Percy, uh, who we remember from uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah. And um, actually, and he's popping up soon in uh, The Legend of King Arthur, mm. or the, the Legend of His Sword, or whatever it's called. King Arthur, Legend of the Streets. <laughs> King Arthur, back to the streets. All right, we'll get, we'll, we're going to touch on that. We're going to see podcast. that. Oh, God, we're going to see that. <laughs> see, though, what's cool about this movie is that the director, James Gray, he is taking as his cue things, you know, Werner Herzog seems like an influence on this movie. It's not as Herzog-y as he might have made it, but you can't help escape that atmosphere when you're going into the Amazon jungle. And also, and the story then happens to be that this guy goes to try to make maps and he discovers what might be an ancient civilization that there, you know, these people who we think, oh, these are just ind- indigenous natives. They can't do anything. Well, it turns out they actually made their own civilization. Hmm. And he tries to convince people back in Britain, we need to go back 
try to explore some more. And this becomes his life obsession. And I knew I was in good hands with this movie because at one point I wanted to say to myself, uh, I want to build my own house. <laughs> and as it turns out, he's, he's in like the jungle early on in the movie and he comes across, I'm not kidding, a rubber baron <laughs> who has made his own opera. Huh. Yeah, in the jungle. I have to wonder if maybe Herzog got some inspiration from this earlier on. If there was like a real guy who did this. Or maybe he just made it up. That was Herzog. It could have just been put in the movie because someone yeah, wanted to make a, exactly. a, refer a reference that mm -hmm. only you would get. Yeah, but it, it made me kind of perk up. I want my up. Oh, nobody, there it is. Yeah, no, yeah, that was basically me in this movie. Like, nobody actually says, you know, nobody's a Kinski character per se. But it's just the, having opera in the jungle and a rubber baron. It was like, oh, I feel really giddy right now. And it's um, all for you, Jack. Yeah, it was all for me and whoever else wants to see it. Um, there's a lot of... This is just a really well-made movie on the whole. Uh, that it takes its time, but it's not... You don't get bored watching it. It's fascinating to see how this guy uh, discovered this place and all the trials that he has to go through. Uh you know, they could die at any minute because there are people along the riverside who will kill you yeah. if you're not careful with just basic things like spears. And um, maybe a tiny bit of Apocalypse Now, too. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, th there are a couple of little nitpicks I have with the movie that keep it from being in that great column. Uh, it's like, the, it, it, some of it might be adaptation, some of it might be, oh, uh, this is just kind of not that... Uh, and they couldn't translate it to film. Like the 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 main character has a son who grows to resent the father because he's out in the jungle all the time. He's obsessed with it, and he never gets to see him. And then who cares? I'm discovering yeah. lost civilizations. Yeah. And then you know, World War One happens as well, which kind yeah. of takes over things and makes exploration to the wayside. But then the son, without much development, character development, then suddenly comes his dad's like, I want to go back to the jungle with you. We have to complete this mission. And I was like, where's the development? Where, where did this kid decide to change his mind and all this? <laughs> um, so if I had one little issue, it's that. But again, it's not that much to not say, go see this movie. on you know, And if you can on a big screen, because it seems like this is what you go to the movies for, for movies that are really intelligent and they don't try to make you think that you're watching something bigger and flashier which is kind of what i'm dreading with this king arthur movie by the way uh oh it's gonna be big and flashy it's like it looks dumb and loud and all those things too um I mean, but the, the reason i i don't want to talk about king yeah arthur yeah right we'll, we'll, we'll wait we'll, we'll some wait other time it. yeah yeah um but on the flip side another fun speaking of british things the i watched this movie which isn't set in britain but it's by a British director. This movie called Free Fire. Does this sound familiar at all? No. Okay. Well, you you check out the trailer sometime very soon because it's it's a movie that's eighty five minutes long and at least an hour or more of it is a shootout. And it's and it's a lot of fun. Huh. It's um you get actor. It's basically in the set set in the seventies. And in the sense, it's. Not even so much. It feels like what could have been out in the 90s as a Tarantino knockoff. Yeah. You get a bunch of sleazy hoodlums and lowlifes into a room. 
and there's all this tension that uh, explodes and everybody starts firing at each other. But it doesn't end right away because, you know, when people get shot, uh, that's what something that this movie plays with really well is that you don't just die. Some, if you get shot in the shoulder or the leg, you're just kind of crawling around and yeah. unable to do anything. All right. Exactly. Um, yeah, and it has a really fun cast. You have Brie Larson, you have Army Hammer, um, you have Charlotte Copley, who's surprisingly good. Uh, I probably liked him in this a little more than uh, Hardcore Henry. <laughs> He, he did his best in he Hardcore He tried Henry. in Hardcore Henry. I would say he was the best part of that film. You know what? Yeah, I guess looking back on and, it, he probably And even if part. you don't like that performance, even if you think there's something off about that, yeah. I would lay none of that at the feet of Charlotte Tocco. No, he, he was there to try his best. And here, he's given a lot of really good stuff to work with. In a way, I kind of want to go back to Hardcore Henry sometime, because... Yeah. There were things about it that the experience was not the most pleasant. No, it was not. Because it's basically like <laughs> being it, strapped I... into it. It feels like being strapped into a theme park ride yeah. that's about two hours long. And being on, looking at a giant screen with handheld, with that sort of shaky cam. Yeah. I mean, it's not handheld because it, it's technically not that way but you know what i mean yes exactly I, it, it where it really wears you down i think if i was actually oh man now i'm oh man hardcore henry <laughs> here's the weird thing i got tired of hardcore henry because of the very things that made it awesome hmm. however if i watched it on a small screen i don't think it would do the film any service because it was all about being in that point of view and to do that properly you have to see it on a widescreen so it's like even though i i think maybe the solution is to have it on a giant screen but then be able to like take a break every 45 minutes <laughs> maybe that could have helped i don't know i i, I, still, I still like an assault on I, the I, I, no film is good where it has to be like i have to close my eyes or or this headache is gonna get worse no no exactly <laughs> that was a problem with that movie not so much with this movie free fire to, to take it back to that this is a movie involving <laughs> lots of guys with guns and it's a lot of fun because unlike hardcore henry I just had a lot of fun watching these characters talk shit to, to each other, <laughs> basically, because you have these two opposing sides, and Brie Larson is the one woman, and she can hold her own, which is fun to watch, too, and there are little surprises that end up making the movie, you're on your edge as well, and the pacing is good, because you'd think, oh, just it's just a giant shootout, well, what's going to happen there, but they take little breaks so they're like highs and lows so there are moments where they're really firing each other and then they take a little break and they're just kind of like oh god now what are we gonna do yeah um it's all over one night so it's all in kind of real time um oh and chili murphy's in it too um so if you just enjoy watching a no bs uh, tough guy movie the tough guys don't dance, that's for sure. Shootout crime film. Yeah, it's a shootout crime film in a best possible sense. That's not a genre, but you no. know you know what I mean. Yeah. A movie, though, <laughs> I can recommend especially to you, though. Uh, have you heard of Your Name? Does that sound at all familiar to you? No, not at all. Ooh, okay, well... You're just, like, reaching into the, reaching into the box and pulling out all sorts of goodies. 
Well, this one, especially for you, this is, um, interestingly, this is an anime film, but not just a new, a new anime. This is the now highest grossing anime movie of all time in Japan. It unseated Spirit Away. Now, wait a minute. Does away. that mean it's the highest grossing animated film in Japan or the highest grossing Japanese made anime, animated film? That's a good question. It, because, you know, Frozen, Frozen got up there. Hmm. Now, now and you know, if this film beat Frozen in Japan, that's pretty awesome. Well, according to Box Office Mojo, uh, well, just all over outside of the U.S. because in the U.S. it's only made like four million, but elsewhere in the world, it's made like three hundred fifty million dollars. Hmm. And in Japan, it made two hundred thirty-five million. And all time, I'm trying to see if I can see any type of. Uh, I'm having trouble looking it up, but I'd heard somewhere this, to put it another way, it broke Spirited Away's record. It's the high, at the least, it's the highest grossing Japanese animated film. Okay. I can say it in that way. And it's, um, I think maybe you might like it. It's a, it's the type of movie that's kind of all of a piece, and there, the movie's kind of in two halves. And it's a, at first you think the movie is like a body switch movie. Involving this boy and girl who meet on a subway, who don't know each other, and they're kind of parting ways, and the girl has, like, this little piece of string, or a bow or something, and the guy happens to touch it. And somehow, not all the time, but kind of like every other day, the two of them switch bodies. Hmm. And so you get, like, the first... So, like, one day they switch, the other day they switch back. Sort of. And then and the next day they switch. Yeah, but they don't okay. really, but they don't really know each other. Um, even though they're in these worlds, or they just feel really different. And so, like, for example, the woman, the girl will wake up in the morning, and she'll, like, feel like, I have boobs. And, and then, like, her sister will come in and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> will you stop it? Yeah, why are you feeling your boobs? Stop being weird. Yeah, and it's like, you're watching, the first half of the movie's a lot of fun, because you're seeing these two characters trying to adjust to the fact, like, hey, I'm a boy? Wait, what? But I'm a girl? What? what's going on here and and it's like the guy uh the boy because they, they also live in two very different parts too so like the girl lives in so to speak the boondocks she lives like in the country and the boy lives in tokyo and you know the the girl and suddenly his body is like oh my god i'm in tokyo this is amazing but then then she then she and his body finds out oh wait i'm a waiter Oh my god, I have to wait at this restaurant and this is the worst thing ever. Yeah, so at first it's it's weird. The, the I should mention the director too uh because he has made some other animated films. His name is uh um Ma is Shotoko. Damn, I'm, I'm Let me see. Let me see. No, 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 no. I got it. I got it. It's Makoto Shinkai. Okay. There we go. And he yeah, he he's done a lot of uh, different kind of movies. He made a movie called Five Centimeters Per Second. He made a movie called The Garden of Words and Children Who Chase Lost Voices. I haven't heard of these movies, but uh, he's a, he's like an up-and-coming I can only guy. imagine how awesome these titles would be if they were directly translated from Japanese. <laughs> well, if they were directed, directly translated from Japanese, they might not make sense. They'd sound like Yoda was saying them. That's why it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um... And this, the thing is, so the first half seems like this fun body swap comedy. Um, very Japanese in its way. Like, the very opening of the film and the very, very end are kind of my least favorite parts of the movie. Because they almost feel like you're watching 
some random Japanese animated TV show. But I don't mean in a good way. It's like everything's so fast and edited in a montage. And like, I don't know how to describe it. But then the second half is where we get into something that's more serious. It involves uh, that... Uh, there are some spoilers that I can't really say, but but let me just say that the, the, the main male character, the, the boy, finds out that this girl, she actually has had a much darker experience than... Like, he has. Yeah, or the, especially in the town that she's lived in. Uh, and there, there's something involving a meteorite that I don't want to get into it's not a fantastical movie per se but there are fantastical elements elements about it like it's very grounded in the real world and it's a very romantic kind of movie too like it's a if you wanted a good date night and you and your partner really like anime it'd be a good movie to take them to um so i just want to put out your name period that's the name of the movie right your name period um i saw fate of the furious okay There's my review. There. I I actually... You know what I sent... Here's what I said to my wife as I was walking out of the credits of the Fate of Furious. I said, holy crap, that was... Takes a deep breath. I actually put this in tech form. Duh. I could have kept going with the uh there, but I don't want to annoy you. Because um, I talked about... The- I saw a clip on uh, of from Fate of the Furious. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there is a shot where cars are falling out of the side of a very large building. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I-, I thought about this, and I thought, there is no setup... <laughs> you could possibly describe to me which would explain to any plausible degree yeah how this image came to be yes um yeah I, for... but <laughs> but it doesn't surprise me because i've seen parts of the other fast and furious films yeah, as and I, and as, I as i've Fur- told and I you talked about furious seven right as well, uh, you know and, and as i've told you you know a lot of uh, uh, <laughs> this these films have an audience for a reason Okay. Yes, and I guess, it, I guess so. You know, I can't begrudge anybody that. Well, as I might have talked about before. But I, I mean, ultimately, you and I are not part of this audience. Well, the thing is, here's why I said in my review, and here's why I'll repeat to you, is that there are, kind of, there are two kinds of dumb in a movie. There's kind of the fun dumb Yes. Where you recognize, okay, this is really dumb, but I'm having kind of fun watching this. Kind of like Pacific Rim. Yeah, but Pacific Rim does it better than this. Uh, well, and actually, it's funny because you bring up the car scene because that's actually one of the fun, dumb parts of the movie. Um, I mean, I could try to explain it to you, and it's basically just, well, Charlize Theron, who's the ma- villain of the movie, and here's her name, Cipher, and she's a hacker. Of Tell me that she's part of like a secret organization called. The Brotherhood, or the <laughs> <No>. organization. <laughs> That'd be giving this movie. Tell me, right. tell me, or like the order. No, she's just a rogue person who, you know, she's evil because she has blonde dreadlocks and she talks very. No person with blonde dreadlocks has ever been a hero in a film. No, not that I can think of. But anyway, she somehow she and her other hackers are able to use their 
as Roger Ebert would say in capital letters, special hacking movie skills <laughs> to somehow hack into what seems to be every single car within a many many block radius in Manhattan, New York. And they take over the car, whether there's a driver or not, so that they can stop like this Russian like convoy or something. And it's gloriously stupid. It is insanely stupid. But I kind of had fun with it because of there's like a considerable you know, wait, amount. Of I think I've come up with the next plot for the next Fast and Furious movie. Mm. It's in the it's in the near future where self driving cars have become a reality, yeah. but the self driving cars are starting to <laughs> become self aware, and then it's up to the old drivers to come out of retirement and then no, fight the new then, cars with their get... old school no, awesome driving no, skills. No, 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 Andrew, because then we get Battleship. I'm just saying. <laughs> That was an... Could it be possibly worse than what you've described, Jack? But the thing is, though, see, again, that's fun dumb. And there's also some fun dumb stuff with The Rock and Jason Statham in the movie. Um, they have a great uh, one-on-one. They're probably my favorite part of the movie. I do have to admire the idea, the fact that the Fast and Furious franchise has been collecting st- uh, stars <laughs> and characters in this sort of snowball effect. Yeah. <laughs> Kurt Russell is there too. The only time they ever leave is when they die. Yeah. So, but the kind of bad dumb because I want to get back to that because I said there's fun dumb, but then there's bad dumb. And the thing is, there's more stuff. It's really the story of the movie, and a lot of things that go into it. It's just, oh man, it it's like more of the badness that comes from like a hacky screenwriter who wants to try to set up cool things and then says "eff it" and lets things just run amok. And, you know, the main plot of this movie, you have, you know, Vin Diesel goes rogue. I don't know why. Why did he go rogue? Nobody knows why. Go rogue from what? His illegal <laughs> car racing. St- well, going rogue from, you know, the, the constant, like, the catchphrase for the past few movies, which I guess now is supposed to be the catchphrase of the Furious franchise, is, we're family. He says it like that. Wasn't that the end? Wasn't that the, like the third lethal weapon too? <laughs> yes, it was. And you got Danny Glover and Mel Gibson and Jet Li. Uh, that was the fourth one. Oh wait, <laughs> I actually saw that in the theater. Oh my god. <laughs> um, but no, there's just a lot of bad, dumb stuff here. Like main, her main plot, like Cipher's plot in this movie. You know, it relies on a lot of things that have to fall, like, right into place. It's one of those type of scripts. And we have to remember another character who did this or that. And then randomly, like, Vin Diesel meets with Helen Mirren in the scene. And that makes no sense. And then it comes back around later on. And then the whole thing climaxes with this insane sequence in a Rus- in Russian Siberia. Where it involves, like, a car chase and also a giant submarine and a tank. Now, you see, what you're describing to me doesn't seem like bad dumb yet. Uh, I, I'd you be, have to watch it, it. On this whole thing, you would, everything you described, I'd be like, okay, let, I want to see this play out. I, I mean, the thing is, I'm, I'm kind of describing... Well, there's also... I'm almost making it sound better than it is. There is also a fun scene involving... All says involves Jason Statham with a baby on a plane. See, that doesn't sound bad no, dumb yet. No, it doesn't. But when you watch it, though, the the things that the the script does and a lot of the story things 
Let me put it this way. When there's a CinemaSins video of this movie, it's going to be 40 minutes long. <laughs> it, he won't have enough time to go through all of the bad crap in this movie. Yeah. And th again, there are some fun things about it. I just... I'm tired of this franchise. Like, the, the, the story... I mean, the plot of this movie is, like, the Muppets most wanted thing. <laughs> I Well, sort of. But that was, like, more of, like, a... Here's the bad character, version of this character. But... Uh, I don't know. Um, it's just missing Danny Trejo. Yeah, it is. Um, all right, one last movie I'll talk about before we move on um, that I just want to mention. Uh, have you ever seen Stalker? Stalker. No, talking about Russia, this is a movie by Andrei Tarkovsky. Does that name sound familiar? That name is familiar. I, I definitely Solaris. know I haven't seen Stalker. Okay, all right. Well, I, um, I had the luck of being... Uh, we went, I went with my friend Matt Rosen, or our friend Matt Rosen, I should say. Um, and uh, Montclair... He's just, listening to this and he's like, hey, I'm Andrew's friend too. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Matt, our friend. Um, there was just... the, the I saw, actually got to see on a big screen, uh, there was just this new theater that opened in Montclair. Uh, so it was, it was kind of interesting because I was the very first... We were the part of the very first audience seeing a movie in this theater. Huh. And that was kind of nice. Um, you got to spill popcorn over its brand new floor. I would have if they served popcorn. This this theater is going downhill. Yeah, exactly. It's going it's out going of business. Down. Yeah, no booze either. Um, no, this movie is a. Uh, it's pretty. It's it's pretty well known when you get into real film, uh, film world buff type uh, circles, because uh, Tarkovsky is one of those guys who. When you get into the history of film, he's sometimes peer, uh, uh, sometimes he's paired with Kubrick as being one of those visionary people who really takes uh, something and makes it into like a, an immersive experience and something unique that you haven't really seen before. Uh, in fact, Solaris is the one that people often will pair with 2001 because it's like, oh, we're seeing space like we haven't seen it before. Especially around the time Solaris came out in the early 70s. Nobody had quite seen a spaceship done like how he showed it. Or especially how characters move and how he just presents the world. And this movie, Stalker, uh, it involves this story to try to put it into a bottle as quickly as possible. Um, it's set in this alternate reality or future where there's this place called The Zone. Um, in capital words, The Zone. And in this place, uh, if if you go into this place in the zone, uh, you can, in a particular spot in this room, uh, all, your secret desire can be fulfilled. Anything in your that you've ever wanted can be made into a reality. Let's go! Yeah! <laughs> well, that's what you would think, right? But people can't just go on there on their own because it's almost like a maze getting there. And you, uh, the stalker of the title... Uh, this is one of those movie titles, like, uh, William Freakin's Sorcerer. Yeah. Where, when I first heard of this, I'm like, well, okay, is this like a horror movie or something? You know, just like with Sorcerer, I, I actually avoided that movie for a lot of years. Because I was like, why would I want to see William Freakin's movie about magic or something? Why wouldn't you want to see William Freakin's movie about magic? I don't magic? know. I was being very petty for a while. And this was before I even looked up what the movie was about and realized it had nothing to do with magic. 
It's just called Sorcerer. I think that's what a lot of people said when they, when Sorcerer first came out. Yeah, they, they, they probably heard the title and they're like, oh, is this going to be like a fantasy movie from William Friedkin? That sounds cool. Oh, it's... No, it's about a bunch of trucks. Yeah, no, no, no. It's about one truck carrying nitroglycerin that's making a dangerous mission. Um, yeah. And this movie, Stalker, the character... The, the Stalker is an actual person whose whole job is... Like, I'm the one who can navigate through this place called The Zone. I can take you there. But you have to really trust me and follow me to this place. Uh, because if you take, like, one wrong step, you'll get lost and you'll die. Like, when they're... Like, he, he in the movie, he's leading these two guys. They're not they're not named. One is called The Professor and one is called The Writer. Marianne. Yeah, The Professor Marianne. And... Uh, it becomes this movie... That was that's... your dumb joke for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you should write for the, uh, the Furious franchise. I'm, I've already gotten started. Good! Well, they're already planning on probably doing a movie in space, so you can get on that. There are no roads in space, Jack. Where they're going, they don't need roads. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's where they're going next. Every, but every franchise goes into space to die. Dracula mm. and... Friday the thirteenth. How about how about Moonraker? <laughs> also death. <laughs> I want uh, it'll happen. Um, but anyway, Stalker. It becomes this movie in a way about faith, and because these characters are you know fairly intellectual, and they don't really believe necessarily. They kind of doubt, even though they're going to this place called the Zone, and it's a very rundown looking movie. Uh, the way that you sometimes when are they going to spruce this zone up? Well, well, no, it's because that. Well, the idea is to show that, uh, in a way, like how when Ridley Scott talks about the original Alien, he doesn't say we didn't want to show space looking all new and fresh. We wanted to show it really worn down and used. Alien looks like it's in a classy environment compared to the world of this movie. <laughs> this is you know Russia in like a post-apocalyptic looking landscape but the thing that's cool is that they it almost feels like they didn't do much to change it like you feel like oh we just are in russia and this is how it looks <laughs> it's super industrial and when we're going into fields it should be lush and green but oh oh my god there's some dead bodies over there okay and there's this gigantic house that looks like it's about to fall apart and uh all this muddy water and syringes and uh this one dog is kind of wandering around and it makes for a very stark landscape and i just you have to be patient with this movie because there are a lot of long takes there are a lot of shots that last a while and the mood is not you know you, you it doesn't rush you at all but if you are tapped into it it's just a absorbing experience um, I don't know what to say about kind it. Kind of it's like just... uh, Russian Ark. Yeah. If you tap into it and just view it as an experience, then yeah. it's... Yeah, it's a little bit like that. It's, it's, then, it's then it's fascinating. Yeah, and, and you kind of... Uh, my fr uh, um, You know, Matt made a good point watching it, because the first half of the movie, this stalker character seems almost like a badass type. Like, I'm the one who can help... I can, I'm the one that can take you there. I'm your guide. You have to listen to me. I know what I'm doing. He's like the Mad Max of Russia. A little bit, yeah. Uh, well, it's not just him. There are other stalkers out there. Um, but in the second half, as he as they go more into the zone, as and as they get closer to this place that's supposed to be, 
you know, the, this, literally it's called The Room, which unfortunately made me think of Tongley, so. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's The Room. He's earned his own claim to fame now. I know. But, um, but when he, but by, but as he gets closer there, he becomes more vulnerable and a little more, uh, not frightened is the word, but, you know, he, he's the one who so, has so much faith in this place. And these other characters that he's taking with them, not so much. They're, they're more skeptical. And it becomes a little bit about, like, a, do we do we believe in something that you don't see or really can feel? Or do you try to not, do you do, do it or you don't? Right. Um, so, yeah, Stalker. And it's coming out on Criterion pretty soon in a pretty good transfer. It's been one of those movies that I used to have on VHS. And it's funny because... Uh, the way I first watched it was on that, and then Matt watched it on that too. And there's this one moment involving these birds who are there one second, and then they disappear, and then come back. You know, in one of those jump take shots. Yeah. And he thought that there was something wrong with the tape, <laughs> but then he realized, oh, that's just part of the movie. <laughs> so now you get to see a movie where you don't question the quality of the movie based As on you're the watching it. you're watching it on. Um... So yeah, I think that's pretty much what I wanted to talk about for now. So some of these movies are new releases. Uh, some of them are out uh, on their way out. But uh, if you've seen any of them, give us a... Well, I would say call, but we don't have a phone number. <laughs> if you get our phone hey, number... Hey, call then, us anytime. Yeah, call us. We might pick up. Or we might not. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's pretty much the movies that's going on right now. Um, when we come back... We are going back into our time. We are go well. Yeah, we always go back in time. Every movie is just in like the past. Huey Lewis said. Turn back in time. back in time. No, we're going to return to our "What the Devil Is That" segment with a movie that's connected with, uh, in a way, with our main topic. Definitely. Yes. So stay tuned for that.